Welcome to the Exam Study Expert Podcast, helping you hit the grades of your dreams at school, college, and university through the science of fast learning and lasting memory, the psychology of study productivity, and the secrets to great exam technique. And now your host, the Cambridge University trained psychologist who's dedicated his life to helping students study better and outsmart their exams, William Wadsworth. Hello, and welcome to the Exam Study Expert Podcast. Now, most of what I talk about here on the podcast and over on the blog is about the science of studying. In other words, how to review information and revise for your tests such that you walk into the exam with as much of the relevant skill and knowledge as possible. What I haven't talked about so much is what you should do in the exam itself. But honestly, I think good exam technique and good test-taking strategy can be a huge part of your overall exam success. If you're listening to this when it comes out in late May 2019, I know it's going to be a big week for many of you because this week is the depths of exam week for lots of students around the world. So I've decided to dedicate the next two episodes of the podcast to the art of good exam technique and the science of test taking. Starting this week, I'm taking to the mic solo to talk you through the three principles that I think underpin much of great exam technique. And then next week, you'll be hearing from me, plus a range of experts, for some quickfire tips on how you can give yourself an unfair advantage in the exam hall. That's unfair in terms of the advantage is so good, rather than unfair because you're cheating. If you're the sort of student that cheats, then, you know, this isn't the podcast for you. Anyway, if you're looking to maximise your grade in upcoming tests or exams, I strongly suggest you listen to both this week and next week's episodes. I think you'll discover some new tactics that will allow you to unlock higher marks. And for once, these tips are all about unlocking better grades without having to put in any more study hours. I'm pretty pumped up about the topic of exam technique at the moment because I've just finished my first book, which is all about the science of recall and applying elite performance psychology to exams. It's been about 10 years in the making and it's called Outsmart Your Exams. I started writing it out of frustration because I kept coming across so many good tactics that can really give students an edge in exam and test situations. Coming out of fields as diverse as elite sports and the science of memory and recall, and yet no one was making them available to students. So I decided to change that and wrote the book for students just like you. For those of you that stick around to the end of this episode, I'll be giving you details of how you can get hold of a copy of Outsmart Your Exams at Launch for just a pound or a dollar, which honestly is a steal for so much distilled wisdom to give you a great big boost on test day. But I'm also conscious that exam period is one of a lot of pressure, so I wanted to do what I could to help you out right now this instant. And so over the next few minutes in this episode, I'm going to effectively boil down what I've learned about exam technique into three big overarching principles. So sit back, relax, and I'll walk you through each principle in turn, along the way offering a whole set of actionable tips and tactics which you can put into practice immediately, hopefully helping you hit higher marks in your exams as soon as you put this podcast down. Principle number one is the principle of the aggregation of marginal gains. Let me take you back to the 1996 Athens Olympics. Like the rest of the Olympic efforts of my home country, Great Britain, the Great Britain track cycling team was a failure, not picking up a single medal. But fast forward 12 years and the team had been transformed into a true global force to be reckoned with. 
In 2008, at the Beijing Olympics, the team won 12 medals, of which seven of them were gold. In the London 2012 Olympics, they took nine track cycling medals, of which seven were gold. How did they manage to pull off such a transformation from literally no medals at all, bottom of the table, to right at the top, almost unassailable for three Olympics in a row? Well, the team has widely been reported in press interviews over the years, attributing much of this astonishing success to a principle they call the aggregation of marginal gains. Simply put, that didn't mean they only focused on the big, obvious advantages, like selecting the tallest, strongest riders, or making them train really hard, though of course they did all of these things anyway, but it was what they focused on on top of that that really made the difference, trying to find all the little advantages they could in every last aspect of what goes into making a medal-winning cyclist. To give you a flavour, this included engineering every component of the bike, the outfit, the helmet, for minimum weight and maximum aerodynamic properties. It meant reducing the chance of riders getting sick at race competitions by having surgeons train them in how to wash their hands to operating theatre standards. It meant having riders bring their own pillow and coffee machine from home to the hotel they were staying in for competitions, so that they could be not only guaranteed a great night's sleep, but also be able to start the day feeling great with a cup of coffee just how they like it. And riders even wore heated shorts immediately before the race, to warm the leg muscles a few degrees, giving them a fractional speed advantage when the starting pistol fired. So in one sense, a marginal gain can mean giving yourself a small advantage every single time. Heated shorts for cyclists, or perhaps for students choosing to set out your exam paper in a way that examiners are going to like. A marginal gain could also mean reducing the risk of a problem occurring, usually a problem that seems so unlikely to happen but can have really big negative consequences if it does. So the gain comes in slashing the risk of that problem happening, for example from 2% of the time to 0.1% of the time. If you're a cyclist, that might mean washing your hands like a surgeon to reduce the chance that you get sick, or if you're a student, it might be about having a safety net system to get you to each exam on time. So whether the gain comes from a small advantage every time or from reducing the likelihood of being plagued by an unlikely problem, up until the Team GB British cycling team, these issues were usually seen as too small, too insignificant to worry about, and so they were simply ignored. On its own, no single gain was big enough to make a medal-winning difference to a cyclist's performance, but add up dozens, even hundreds of these gains, and together that amounts to an emphatic winning margin on race day. So be like British Cycling in your exams and pay attention to the marginal gains. To give you some ideas, here are some areas you could pick up a few marginal gains for your own exams. First, being well rested. A good night's sleep every day is key to being at your best in the exam hall. The biggest mistake I see here is students working too late into the night and then having trouble sleeping. The easiest way to sleep better, according to sleep scientists, and even perhaps especially when you're under stress, is to have a regular bedtime backed up by a regular quitting time, which is at least an hour, if not two, before you try and go to bed. That means you've got at least an hour or two, once you've put your books away for the night, to allow yourself to relax and to wind down. The sleep scientists even recommend setting an alarm for your quitting time to make sure you stop work for the day on time and allow yourself that winding down time that we so badly need. 
and they suggest that that quitting time alarm is almost, if not more important, than the alarm that wakes you up in the morning. Secondly, what about marginal gains in the exam itself? Well, here I'd suggest you can look for areas to save time. That might mean going easy on the tea, coffee and fizzy drinks before the exam to reduce the chance that you need to use the bathroom during the paper, especially if it's a short one. Then make sure you stay well hydrated and drink plenty of water. If you can avoid a bathroom break, that could easily save you five minutes. Secondly, if you can get your paper named while you're waiting for the exam to start, that could easily save you another minute or two. I mentioned setting out the exam paper really well earlier. Good style and layout really does matter. If the examiner has to pick through messy handwriting or mathematical sums that aren't clearly laid out down the page with the equal signs all lined up beneath each other, for example, the examiner is simply not going to be in as generous a mood as if they could read your work really clearly. And that's not to mention that you'll find your own work harder to follow, making mistakes more likely and harder to spot. Finally, you could look at the marginal gains that come from eliminating common risks that are unlikely but could have big consequences for you if they do happen. For example, eliminate the risk of being late by having a backup alarm set. And if you can, find a reliable family member who knows your exam timetable on standby to double check that you're up on time on exam day. Or in the exam, you could eliminate the risk that you've misunderstood a question by really forcing yourself to read it properly. My tip there would be to force your eyes to slow down and take in every word one at a time by reading with a pen and underlining key words as you go. Any one of these advantages might not make a world of difference on its own, but add up lots of modest advantages like these, and you can see how quite quickly you'll be able to give yourself a pretty significant performance boost in the exam. The second principle is the principle of the elimination of surprise. Surprise is the enemy of success. Forewarned, you can be forearmed. One powerful way to eliminate, or at least very nearly eliminate, the chance of something important being forgotten is the checklist. The humble checklist may seem like a simple device, but it's increasingly used by people in high-pressure situations where the cost of a mistake can be substantial. Hospitals that use checklists have lower infection rates because they make far fewer mistakes in treatment. Pilots that use checklists fly far safer planes because they're much less likely to make errors that can compromise safety. And Japanese trains or New York subway cars that use checklists run with fewer delays. You can use checklists too to eliminate mistakes in the otherwise high-pressure situation that is exam week. I like to recommend writing out a custom checklist for every exam you have to sit, which lists out everything you need to take with you for that exam, and then you can physically check off your kit on the checklist as you leave the house. Your exam kit checklist will need to have all the right stationery on it, of course, plus extras like spare pens or backup calculator batteries, as well as all the things you're going to need to get you to and into the exam hall, which might mean a travel pass or a college ID card. The principle of eliminating surprise is also about making sure nothing catches you out about the exam format or the timings. You know exactly what you'll be asked to do, and you have a clear game plan figured out and thoroughly tested for how you'll allocate time to different tasks in the exam and the order in which you'll work. There's a surprising amount of thought you can put into your exam paper game plan, what you do, how long you spend on it, what order you do things in. And I've written a whole section on this in Outsmart Your Exams because I think it can really make such a difference if you do it well. Let me show you what I mean with an example. 
When I was sitting final exams at uni, a typical exam paper was three hours with three essays to write. My game plan for the paper had me dedicating the first 45 minutes of the paper to planning out each of my three essays. So that's about 15 minutes per essay plan, 45 minutes in total. It's pretty scary to do things like that because it means that you end up 45 minutes into the paper with three great plans, sure, but not having written a single word of essay in neat, whereas someone on the desk next to you may be nearly finishing their first essay. But I like to do things in that order, and you might want to consider doing the same, because it allows you to make optimum use of your energy, emotions, and recall powers in the exam. Energy, because at the start of the exam, you're at your most fresh. And the process of thrashing out the high-level structure of an essay and marshalling the key points you want to make in it is really when you want to be deploying your maximum creative and productive powers. Emotions, because once you've planned all three essays, those plans become a great safety net in case things go wrong. If you're running short of time or getting stressed or getting tired, it really doesn't matter so much. If you've got a decent plan in front of you to work from, all you need to do is just write up the plan. And recall, because by getting the mental juices flowing on some of those essay topics right at the start of the exam, you might find that somewhere deep in the back of your mind, your brain starts to churn those topics over in the intervening time. Even as you're working on the other essays, rooting around for extra facts, clarifying structure, even coming up with some useful ways of phrasing things. In other words, once you start working on the first essay, you'll be subconsciously preparing for the second and third essay to come, making them that much easier to write up when the time comes. All this is well and good, but I don't think it's enough to simply know that you're going to adopt a particular game plan for answering the exam paper. You'll need to test it out by doing real mock papers under timed conditions so that you know the plan's effective, and to make absolutely sure that nothing about the timings or the requirements of the exam is going to take you by surprise on the day. The third and final principle is the principle of going the extra mile. In a nutshell, while others can be good, you'll be better. Now, I don't want you to jump to the conclusion that going the extra mile is about burning the midnight oil through exam week. This isn't about working all hours and turning up exhausted with bags under your eyes for each paper. As we talked about back in the principle of aggregation of marginal gains, exam week should feature plenty of sleep and an early stopping time each night, so you're as fresh as you can be for each paper. But there are plenty of places you can look for that extra mile that few students choose to walk and that won't cause you to deplete your energy reserves significantly. In the run-up to each exam, for example, it's about preparing diligently, working smart, not hard in your final preparations for each paper the day before, to make your course content as fresh and accessible in your memory as possible on the big day. In the exam itself, going the extra mile is about being greedier, thirstier, hungrier than most other students, pushing yourself and your brain in ways that most other students won't bother to do. Many students, for example, find they lose focus and all but stop working in the last 10-15 minutes of an exam. But instead, the principle of going the extra mile tells us to keep going and make sure we're doing what we can to earn marks right to the end. And if you feel you've finished, that might mean checking and double-checking your work for as long as there's seconds left on the clock. And similarly, many students will start to relax towards the end of exam week, starting to take it easier, particularly when there's only one paper left in sight. Instead, go the extra mile, maintain drive, maintain discipline, right through to the final paper. Going the extra mile also applies to the way we approach individual questions. 
I teach the students I work with a whole range of strategies to deal with tough questions. Here are just a few examples of tactics you can use to pick your way through at least part of a tricky question and pick up a few marks when otherwise you might have scored a big fat zero. For tough language questions, for example, stop trying to answer it all in one go and break it down. Write down what you do know, if anything. If you're trying to translate a long sentence you only know half of, write down the sentence and write the translation so the words you do know underneath. If you're not sure, perhaps you could write down two or more options for the word. Perhaps you could use a combination of common sense based on the context and guesswork to fill in the blanks. Perhaps you could work backwards from an answer you know or believe to be true. For tough numerical problems in sciences and maths, can you pull out all the terms that the question gives you? Try and look past the complexity and figure out, well, is there a formula you can use that relates some or all of the terms that you've just written down? Is there an intermediate calculation you could do which gets you part of the way, even if you don't know where to go from there? That might score you some marks just by itself, and sometimes it may make the rest of the solution clear. Often the tougher questions in papers are where the examiner is asking you to apply what you do know to unfamiliar situations. Start by writing down what you understand of the basics of that subject or issue, even if it's just a definition of a key term or a formula. You might even get some marks for that. The student who goes the extra mile never leaves a blank. There's always something you can say. There's always a guess you can make. One of the reasons I like this final principle is that it applies so universally. It doesn't matter whether you're a student that's aiming to scrape through with a C or whether you're aiming to soar through your exams with an A double star. The principle of go the extra mile still applies. It keeps us striving and stops us settling for anything less than the absolute maximum number of marks we can achieve on exam day. And so with that, that wraps up the three foundational principles of good exam technique. The aggregation of marginal gains, the elimination of surprise, and going the extra mile. I hope you found some useful tips and tricks in this episode, and that more generally, perhaps I've started to convince you of the power of good exam technique and test-taking strategy. As I mentioned at the start, if you're interested in going deeper on how to find more advantages for yourself, just like these, for your upcoming exams, you can pick up a copy of my new book, Outsmart Your Exams, which goes into much more detail than I could hope to cover on a podcast episode. And it's got a lot of things like templates and tables for preparation exercises that are much clearer when written down on a page than read out on a podcast. It's available right now if you want for £5 or a little over $5, but if you can wait till next Tuesday, that's June the 4th, I'll be running a launch sale where you can pick up a copy for just £1 or $1. Head over to www.examstudyexpert.com forward slash outsmart your exams, all one word, where you can find full details. And if you want, you can sign up for an email reminder there to get notified when the deal goes live. If you're listening in the future and you've missed out on the launch deal, the book's always going to be available. Again, head to examstudyexpert.com forward slash outsmart your exams for details anytime in the future. I do hope you'll be able to join me again on the podcast next week when we'll be talking about what effectively amounts to a fourth principle of exam success and probably the one which people get most excited about when I talk to them about it, which is the principle of finding unfair advantages. If marginal gains is about doing lots of little things well and picking up a whole string of small advantages that add together to one big advantage, the principle of unfair advantages is about finding just one or two tactics, each of which gives you a huge edge in the exam. 
I'll be joined by a panel of guests contributing their various trade secrets, and I very much hope you'll be able to join me as well. Until then, very best of luck with your studies, and my heart goes out to all of you with exams coming up this week. I'm sure you'll be brilliant. Good luck. Thanks for listening to the Exam Study Expert Podcast. Remember to hit subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. And please take a moment to write a review for our show in your podcast player.